On the steps of the Royal Courts of Justice in London, protesters held images of Julian Assange high overhead, shouting demands for his release. Inside the court, lawyers accused the US of state retaliation and a truly breathtaking plot to poison the WikiLeaks founder. But Assange himself wasn't there to witness any of this, too ill to attend the first day of his last-ditch attempt to appeal his uh, impending extradition to the United States, where he's been charged with 18 criminal offences, including obtaining and receiving and disclosing classified information. Nick Vamos is the head of business crime at Peters & Peters Law Firm. He's also the former head of extradition at the UK Crown's Prosecution Service. So I welcome you. Thank you, Nick, for your time. Hi, Andy. Assange's lawyers opened arguments in this hearing in front of an overflowing court overnight. How difficult was their task in your view? Well, I think they've got an uphill struggle because the arguments that Mr. Assange is running are ones that have already failed twice. And this really is his last attempt, uh, his last ditch attempt, as you've said, to stop his extradition to the U.S., And he hasn't got a lot of new arguments. He's got some new evidence. The CIA plot that you mentioned is one, but it hasn't really um, materialized into anything more than speculation. Therefore, I I do think at the end of this, he's going to fail. But he's giving it a damn good go, that's for sure. Let's talk more about this alleged plot, this claim made by Mark Summers KC that a former district judge at Westminster Magistrates Court erroneously ignored claims of a CIA plot to poison or kidnap Julian Assange. He claimed that there was a compelling evidence. Uh, uh, there, were, there was compelling evidence for this. What was presented? Well, the evidence suggests that this was discussed within the CIA. There's no evidence um, that it was ever about to be carried out. And, of course, the, the US deny that it was even discussed. So at its highest, it shows that this was being considered within senior you know, intelligence circles in the US. But even if that's true, it's really a collateral issue to the extradition proceedings because the question for the UK court is not, is Julian Assange at risk of assassination? It's, can he be extradited to face a fair trial in the US? And the best that the defense can do is to say, well, you can't trust the U.S. because there was this consideration at one time for an assassination plot, which is denied. So it's really throwing mud and it doesn't go to the central issue of whether his extradition should be barred or not. Assange's legal team have argued he could face 175 years in prison if extradited. Lawyers for the United States government have previously said that it was more likely uh, that the sentence would be between four and six years. I mean, who do we trust? Who do, who do we believe here? Well, I think you believe the US lawyers, frankly. I've done a lot of these cases, and the sentence is very much in the gift of the prosecutors, and they recommend a sentence to the court, and the court almost always goes along with it. But there's another factor here, because even if, theoretically, he was convicted and received a 175-year sentence, the US have promised the UK, they've given a diplomatic undertaking, that he could immediately have his sentence transferred to be served in Australia. Uh, so he would be sentenced, but then he would be put on a plane to Australia. And as I understand it, you know, there's lots of support for Mr. Assange from the Australian government at the moment. They've been putting in a lot of diplomatic pressure on to get him released. And under the convention under which this transfer takes place, the Australian authorities could substitute whatever sentence he received in the U.S., for something that they considered appropriate. So they could just say, well, the time you've served in prison already is enough. 
we'll release you immediately. So actually, I think what would really happen is he would get sentenced in the US, he'd get on a plane, and as soon as he landed on the tarmac where you are, he'd be a free man. Is that process trustworthy, given the potential of a second Trump presidency at the end of this year? I think it's trustworthy for this reason. When the US wants to extradite people from the UK, not just Julian Assange, but many others, they every now and then have to give undertakings to the UK court to satisfy certain conditions. If they ever reneged on any of those undertakings, all future extraditions would be in jeopardy because the defense could just say, well, you can't believe a word the US says because they breached one of these undertakings. So once they've given it to a very close ally, the UK, and future extraditions depend on them keeping their word, I think it's safe to say they will stick by that undertaking. 17 of Assange's 18 charges fall under the US Espionage Act, which has never before, in my knowledge, been used to prosecute publishers. Additionally, Assange is not an American citizen, was not living or working in the US at the time of these alleged offences. So, I mean, what consequences could this ruling have for international public interest journalism if Assange is extradited and convicted in the United States? Yeah, I think that's a very good question. And one of the arguments the defence were making today, Mark Summers Casey again, was that look, there's been lots of leaks of national security information in the US by US journalists, and they don't get prosecuted. So clearly that means this is a, a, a retaliation, a political uh, revenge prosecution, rather than one that's actually in the interests of criminal justice. The counter-argument that the US put forward is, well, these were not normal national security leaks. These were leaks that put people in danger, they actually suffered harm, a huge amount of money and resource had to be put into um, making them safe again. So it's a very interesting question, where does public interest journalism cross the line into criminal activity? And the extradition court in the UK isn't really the place to answer that question. Um, I, I don't know where the right place to answer that question is, but I think what the court in the UK will say is, if you really want to make that argument that you shouldn't be prosecuted at all, then you have to make it in the US because it's not a question that directly impacts on whether you should be extradited or not. On RN Drive, you're hearing from Nick Vamos. Uh, he uh, was previously in charge of extraditions for the United Kingdom. We're talking about Julian Sarge's final appeal against extradition to the United States. And uh, we know that Julian Assange was not uh, present in court uh, because his lawyers uh, said he was too unwell. Apparently, he was even too unwell to appear via video link. If he is in such poor health, how much of a consideration will this be if he loses this appeal? Well, his health was what barred his extradition at the very first extradition hearing. Um, and the judge decided that the US prison system wouldn't be able to look after him properly or prevent him from harming himself, which was the other issue. And since then, his health has got worse. Um, now, to counter that, the US gave undertakings. I, I described one which was about transferring his sentence to Australia, but they gave many others about the treatment he would receive in prison, and they said he wouldn't be subject to certain special administrative measures, he wouldn't be kept in one of their maximum security prisons. So they've given assurances which the UK court to say they are satisfied means that Mr Assange could be cared for properly in prison. But if his health deteriorates any further, then the US may have to give further undertakings. But again, the question for the extradition court is not, well, you know, is he going to be given first-class care? It's just, is his care going to be good enough such that he, it's not a question of inhuman or degrading treatment? So the standard which the US need to reach in order to look after him as a prisoner is not the same as 
you know, somebody in a, in a hospital or in a, let alone, you know, a five-star hotel. We describe this as his last ditch attempt. Of course, there is one final appeal option that is uh, to the European Court of Human Rights, who technically can temporarily stop the flight with this Rule 39 order. I understand, though, that this is very rarely exercised. Um, How do you regard his chances of succeeding in that Court of Appeal? Well, I think the statistics show that it exercised in about 12% of of applications so so 12% succeed one in one in eight roughly um and um in this case the argument he would be making so that so the test the european court applies is is there an imminent risk of irreparable harm to somebody's human rights and that question is one that the uk court will also be addressing because if your human rights are going to be um irreparably damaged then that can be a bar to extradition so so the UK court would have considered and rejected that argument in this scenario, and then the European court would have to decide whether, irrespective of what the UK court had said, they still thought this risk was imminent. And therefore, given it's exactly the same question that the UK court would have already rejected, and given that the threshold for a Rule 39 order is so high, I think his chances are pretty slim. So how do you, soon do you expect the UK High Court to come to a decision on this impending hearing? Well, they could make the decision tomorrow. I think that's unlikely, but it's possible. Sometimes what happens is the judges say, well, the decision we've made is either to grant or deny the application, but we'll give our reasons in a few weeks because they need some time to go off and write it up. I think given the complexity of the arguments um, that I, they won't announce a decision there and then, they'll probably take two weeks, maybe three, and then they'll issue a judgment. And then from that point, if they deny his appeal, then the US will have 28 days to come and collect him. Very good to get your expertise and understanding of these events. The former head of extradition at the UK's Crown Prosecution Service and head of business crime at Peters and Peters Law Firm, Nick Vamos. I do appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.